Welcome to the God Focus Podcast. And today we have special guest. Um, Scott is going to tell his story about his journey to heaven. MJ, go ahead and introduce us to Scott. Well, thanks, awesome Angie. And uh, Scott and Tanya have been very good friends of ours for many, many years, over 25 years now, and that we've known each other. Uh, we bet, met back in 97. Uh, we both were doing a lot of entrepreneurial work with many companies. And uh, Scott's an entrepreneur who's now become a pastor. So you can call him Pastor Scott. And uh, in 2019, uh, he opened up a, a ministry called Divine Appointment Ministries. And just recently in 2021, opened up a ministry called evangelisticequipping.org. And that ministry is just flourishing right now. And so today we're going to have a great talk with Scott and Tanya. We're going to talk about uh, back in 2017, in August of 2017, uh, an event happened where Scott got a chance to go to heaven and see Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. He was con considered dead from anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, but he's always been alive and we're going to have a fun time talking about this today, both the uh, trip to heaven and the ministry work. So let's welcome in Scott and Tanya Hoyk. Here we go. Hello, everybody. How are you? Great to be with you all. I'm excited about sharing. And so um, I'll just I'll just hop in unless uh, anybody has any questions before I start. Just so, start with you know what was going on in your life there. So back there in I was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, obviously nobody nobody plans to exit Earth at a certain time, and so nobody plans to exit Earth at any certain time. And so the the reality is, um, it was August of 2017 our son Dolson had just been diagnosed with whooping cough. And so it went through the school district. Dolson had whooping cough and that was, he was diagnosed, I believe on August 8th of whooping cough. And so Tanya and Dolson, they were on quarantine. Dolson was up in his room and, you know, we'd never experienced that. It was, it was, it was not so fun, but uh, Tanya noticed uh, about a week before that my foot was swollen and, you know, I was probably in the best shape of my life at that point, since I was probably in early high school, you know, I was, I was lean and working out a lot. And Tanya goes, what is wrong with your ankle? I said, I don't know. She goes, does it hurt? I said, nope. And so <laughs> she goes, if it's still swollen next week, I'm taking you to the doctor. <laughs> and so the following, following week comes around. It's about Wednesday. She goes, how's your ankle? I said, it might be a little bit bigger than it was before. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was huge. And she goes, I am making you an appointment. So she made me an appointment for Friday. And so on Friday, um, I go, it was the fourth, I go to the doctor and he's my family doctor for 24 years. And, and we're, uh, you know, how, how you go to the doctor, they do the normal check-in stuff. And the nurse was in there taking my, my blood pressure, my vitals. And she, she uh, took my blood pressure and she, she looked at it and she looked at me and she goes, we have a problem. <laughs> and she goes and she gets the doctor and he comes in and I look over and it was 246 over 145. And my doctor goes, 
you're having a heart attack. I go, no, I'm not. And he, he goes, let's do it again. And he did it again. It was 246 over 145. And I had him get my cell phone because I wanted to get a picture of it. I go, nobody's going to believe me. That is awesome. And he goes, that's not awesome. You're having a heart attack. And so he says, we got to do an EKG right now. And so he brings in the EKG machine and they do the EKG and it came back perfect. And he goes, this machine's broken. <laughs> We're going to get another machine in here. So they get another machine in and it came back that I'm not having a heart attack. And he goes, you're not having a heart attack. I said, that's good. He goes, he goes, you have something really bad going on right now. He goes, if I send you to the hospital, are you going to go? I said, nope. He goes, if I send you to Safeway, would, I'm going to call in a prescription. You're going to take it out the counter. It's important because you got to get your blood pressure down because you're in a really bad zone. And I said, I said, okay. And so they did some blood work. It was Friday. He said, come see me Monday morning at 10 a.m. So I go give some blood Monday morning, 10 a.m. I go into the doctor's office and he goes, Scott, you've lost your kidney function. You have no kidney function at all. And so I said, that doesn't sound good. He goes, I made you an appointment to see a nephrologist. I said, okay, I don't have to spell that, right? And so he... Uh, he makes me an appointment for two days later and I go home and I'm telling Tanya that I don't have any kidney function. And um, that was, uh, she kind of freaked out a little bit. So on Wednesday, I go to this doctor and he, he, uh, he's, he looks at me and he says, you're going to die today. And I looked at him and I understand the power of the spoken word. And I looked at him and I looked at his nurse and I looked at him. I never said one word to him. I went over, I picked up my wallet, my keys and my phone, and I walked out of his office and his nurse, God bless her heart. She's so great. She's going, you can't leave. You have to go to the hospital. I said, if the hospital needs me, they'll call me. I'm not going to let anybody speak that over my life. She's following you up and she's following, <laughs> she follows me out to the car in the you parking lot. She goes, you have to go to the hospital. I go, they'll call me if they need me. And so I start driving home and I'm calling, I'm calling Tanya. And I'm calling Tanya and I'm calling Tanya. We're, the hospital or, or the doctor's office from the house was about 30 minutes. And I'm calling her and I, I get home and I found out why I wasn't getting a hold of her. She had, she had the Christian music blaring. Dolson's probably upstairs coughing. And, and I walk in and I get her attention. I said, hey, Tanya, I go, I need you to get our life insurance binder. And she goes, Why? I said, there's something I need to show you. And so she brings the life insurance binder down and I had a highlighter out of her drawer and I highlight a toll-free number. She goes, why did you do that? And I said, well, the doctor said I'm going to die today. I don't believe I'm going to die today, but the doctor said I'm going to die today. If I die, we're taken care of. Everything's done. However, you still have to pay the the phone bill or they turn it off. You have to pay the power bill or they turn it off. And she's never, still has never paid a bill. I am so spoiled, blessed. I am, he takes such <laughs> So she's, she's never paid a bill. It's one of the things we should probably teach her someday, but she's, ne she's never paid a bill. <laughs> she's never paid a bill in her life. And so I'm sitting over there and I'm going through each account going, okay, here's the username and password. Here's the website. Here's the username and password website. I go, here's how my bill payer works. Everything's set up. And I heard nothing. I heard none of this after the words, 
doctor says I'm going to die today. It came out of his mouth. You know, I, I'm shocked. I'm bawling. I'm looking around the house going, this could be the last time you're here. You know, it was crazy. He says all this with smiles and laughing. That's not my side of the story. <laughs> oh, I, I count it all joy. Hallelujah. And so, and so um, I'm writing it down and my cell phone that the hospital kept calling my cell phone and I wasn't answering. I was just making sure I was getting everything written down for Tanya. And so she's, she's sobbing and, you know, obviously it's kind of emotional. And so, and so um, the hospital I, at that time, I had a landline. I'm not sure if anybody still has those things, but I had a landline and my landline starts ringing. Only anybody that ever called the landline was solicitors or her mom. <laughs> right. And so I, I looked at the landline and it said multi-care. And so I, I answered and they go, is this Scott? I go, this is Scott. They go, you need to get in here right now. Your potassium's over 10. Um, this is not good. Most people would be dead. And so I uh, did, the, did, did the best thing that I knew. I'm going, um, I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> Tanya couldn't go anywhere. And I didn't want to drive my car and leave it at the hospital. So I called my mom and I said, mom, I need you to come give me a ride to the hospital. She goes, okay, honey, but why? I go, oh, I'll tell you when you get here. I never told her. Could you imagine telling your mom on the way down about a 30 minute drive that the doctor said you're going to die today. She's behind the wheel. Yeah. I would have died before I got to the hospital. But um, <laughs> so, so the, the reality is um, I give Tanya a hug and I tell her that this has been the best 25 years of my life and she's sobbing and I'm trying to keep my cool because I didn't want mom to see. And um, I leave. And so I get to the hospital and you know how you walk into a hospital, they have like a reception desk. So I walk into the reception desk and this, it's like they were perfectly waiting for me. This lady goes, are you Scott? I go, yeah. She goes, you need to come over here. And my mom's following. And so you need to come over here. And they take me into a room. They cut my shirt off, which I'm, I mean, I'm healthy. I mean, I, I didn't have any symptoms at all. Completely healthy, um, not sick. I had a swollen foot and obviously an elevated blood pressure and no kidney function, but whatever. And so I could have taken my shirt off. It's a good shirt too. And so they cut my shirt off and they go, we can't give you any medicine because it'll kill you. You have no kidney function and it will raise your potassium higher. And so they put all this orange stuff on my neck and on my chest and they get a scalpel. My mom's back there screaming and they slice my neck and they slice a hole in here and they put an 18 inch catheter into my heart and I might have screamed like a little girl but um it hurt and so they put this catheter in, and my mom's going what are you guys doing and my, their doctor's explaining to my mom what's going on and my mom's crying obviously and so they get me up to a room and they start cleaning my blood and everything was going good that was that was August uh, August 9th I get admitted to the hospital and they're they're cleaning my blood and everything was good and you know, I didn't like the water the hospital was giving me. So I ordered cases of perfect water because it's how I operate my life. And so I get, I get water and I'm, everybody called me Mr. Perfect. Again, they're cleaning my blood, but I have no symptoms. I'm walking around. I get a track set out so I can do my 10,000 steps and I'm walking and I, I'm exercising and I'm praying for people. And that's just kind of how Scott works. And so I'm, uh, everything was good. And they, uh, 
the uh, on the so that was a Wednesday. This first Saturday comes around, and I hear a knock on the door. Normally, when people enter the room, like doctors, they'll knock real quick, tap tap, and they come in. So there's a tap tap. This guy comes in. He's wearing bifocals. He's wearing a, a denim shirt and khakis with with multi care hospital credentials and a clipboard. And so he walks in and he goes, can I sit down? And I go, yeah, you can sit down. And so he sits down and he's looking at his clipboard and he's looking up at me and he's looking at his clipboard. He goes, how are you doing today? I said, I'm amazing. And he gets like this massively weird look on his face. He looks down at the clipboard. He goes, how are you doing? I go, intensely amazing. And he goes, I think I'm here to pray for you. I said, awesome, I'll pray for you first. What do you want prayer for? He says, my wife is Buddhist. And I want to see her accept Christ. And I said, let's stand unified on that right now. And I just start praying and he starts sobbing. I was raised in a military house where men don't cry. And this guy is sobbing. He cries every, he cries every time I see him. And so he's sobbing and then he prays for me and he leaves. And so that was, that was Saturday. And so Everything was good. They're cleaning my blood. All of my numbers are getting really good through the dialysis process, right? So they're cleaning my blood. I was doing it for about eight hours a day to get everything in check. And so the following Monday comes around and um, the doctors came in and said, everything's looking good. It looks like you can pretty much, we could, pre- we could release you to do, um, in, do outpatient dialysis this coming Wednesday. But you dub calls and ask if they could do a biopsy on my kidney. And that was on the 14th, University of Washington. And so I said, yeah, absolutely you can. And so they come in at 10 o'clock in the morning on, on, on Monday, the 14th, and they take the gurney, they take me down to a room and they, they uh, take this thing. It looks like a long, maybe like a a 14 inch slurpy straw, but it's stainless steel and it's a, it's a mechanism and it's really sharp and they take it out of a package and they, they go, this is going to go into your kidney and it's going to take a piece out. And, and you get no pain medicine. Oh, they couldn't give me any pain medicine. And they gave me a mouthpiece. <laughs> I'm going, oops. <laughs> Maybe I should have said no. <laughs> oh, damn, yeah. And so, and so they, they take a, they take a piece. I wanted to video it. And they wouldn't let me video it. So they take a piece out of my kidney about a quarter inch long, half, half of it, the inner piece goes into a Petri dish and that goes to the hospital to study. The original external, external piece goes back in the kidney and that's what's called a plug because the kidney essentially size of a fist and it's all blood vessels, right? And so the kidney, um, they, they put the plug back into the kidney and they took me back to my room. It went, it went, it went pretty good. I mean, it hurt, but it went pretty good. And so I'm back in my room um, by 11. I get in there and my, my mom's in there. One of my sisters are there and one of our, one of our good friends are there. And so I am ADD to the max. I'm always wired. And when my, with my personality, you always feel like you're entertaining. And so I'm laying in a hospital bed from 11 to about four o'clock in the afternoon. Cause they told me I had to be on bed rest. I couldn't even get up and walk. And so about four o'clock in the afternoon, I am bored as a gourd. I am ready to, you know, um, you know, have people exit my room. So I said, hey, everybody, you guys can go ahead and take off. I'm going to get some rest, which means I had to go to the bathroom and I wanted to play video golf. 
<laughs> but I didn't want them there. And so they leave and I go to the bathroom and I'm standing there doing my deal. And I hear a, like a massive cork pop in my abdomen. And it's probably the loudest noise my body has ever made. I mean, think that through. And so it was loud. And I knew that wasn't good. And I'm and about three seconds later, the worst pain I'd ever experienced, probably times a million, kicks in. And I'm going, this isn't good. And I make it back to my bed. I look up at the clock. It's four o'clock sharp, straight up. And I press the button. And I'm watching and I am I am taking my my left hand, my fist, and I am pushing as hard as I can because I know where the pain's coming from. And so it hurt so bad. I pressed the button again and I pressed the button again. And I found out that when you press the button in the hospital, it means nothing. And so at 418, nurse Olga comes in. Awesome Christian gal. She's so sweet. She's Ukrainian. Awesome lady. And so she comes in, she goes, hey, Scott, what's going on? I go, I don't know. I'm experiencing the worst pain I've ever experienced. I was going potty and I heard uh, like a cork pop and it made a loud echo in my, my stomach. And, and she goes, I'm calling the head doctor. <laughs> and so the head doctor comes up to my room and I'm explaining to him what's going on. And so he goes, well, if you get to cut on your hand, you got to put pressure on your the cut to get it to stop bleeding. So if it's internal, you got to let your abdominal cavity fill full of blood to get enough back pressure on the kidney to get it to stop bleeding. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and so um, he says, we're going to get you some painkiller. And they'd already took my IV out because I was doing so good. So they were just, if I needed anything, they said they could put it through my port. And so he's looking at my arms. He goes, we need to get you an IV and we'll get you some morphine to cut the pain. And so this lady comes in she's super nervous. She gets, she grabs an, a leg IV. She puts it in my arm, which means it was the wrong size by far. And so they get me some morphine and the doctor's watching me. And he goes, did you not feel that? I go, I don't, I haven't felt anything. It still hurts as bad as it did. He goes, let me get you some Dilaudid. So we had morphine and then he gives me Dilaudid. He goes, Dilaudid is like 10 times stronger than morphine. And I said, yes, please. And so he gave me Dilaudid and that didn't test the pain. And now the doctor starts sweating. And I see, I mean, you can watch body language pretty quickly. And I see fear just build up on his face. And so um, my room starts filling up. It's really awkward. So for about two hours, nobody said a word to me. It was complete silence, but my room starts filling up. Nobody I knew. And it was really awkward. And I'm talking to Jesus. I'm having this conversation going, okay, Jesus, I don't, I don't feel like it's my time. I don't, I don't have any regrets, but I don't feel like it's my time. If it's really my time to go, I guess I'm ready. But, um, and I'm freezing. I'm in pain. Um, my skin was gray. And my room is filling up. And everybody's crying. And so they're all watching me. It was almost like you're, it was really awkward. It's almost like you're in a zoo and everybody's just staring at you. And I'm, I'm, and I'm an eyeball guy. I'm going eyeball to eyeball looking around the room and I'm watching everybody. And, you know, I see everybody's head look to their right, which was to my left. They look to the right and they're looking at the blood pressure monitor. And it said, I look over naturally. And it was 60 over 40. 
and it was, I looked at the clock and it was 6.13. So it's been almost two hours at that point. So it took me actually two hours and 18 minutes to die. And so at 6.15, um, my, my phlebotomist comes in for my 615 blood draw. She wasn't a good phlebotomist at all. She always missed, but I just said, I just always said, just do it again, but it go, go a quarter inch that way. And I still have a red mark. I still have a red mark on my arm where she always hit. I'm going, it's not there. It's over there. And so we're only allowed three times. And Scott's like, I won't tell anyone. Try again. <laughs> and so and so she's she makes it up to the end of my bed and she is sobbing like it's loud sobbing and she's right at my feet nobody's saying a word and I see everybody's head again look over and it's now 40 over 20 and it's 6 15 right and so I'm going eyeball to eyeball um I am freezing and I'm sweating it's a really weird rock word I mean, I'm like pouring sweat, I'm freezing, and I am, I am ash gray. And I'm looking at, and I'm going, okay, this is real. <laughs> this is real. Okay. And so I see everybody's head again, look over, and I watch myself flatline. And I look at the clock, and it, like, it, it was like a, a loud click. I heard it click, 618. For me, there is no out of body of experience. There is no bright light. I'm instantly standing in a field of flowers. It's the most amazing field of flowers you can imagine. So if you've been to the Bouchard Gardens, um, not even close. These flowers were, the colors were so vivid, so bright, so intense. It was awesome. And I'm looking at these flowers and there's birds and the birds are singing songs. And there's trees all throughout this, these fields. And it was, it, was a, it was like endless. It went forever. And these trees were like, if you ever seen like Discovery Show of Africa, how they have the, the, the ending scene has like a sunset and these trees in the distance. Well, they have trees like that and they're full of flowers, not like a blossoming cherry tree. They're full of flowers. And, and I'm going, whoa, where's the streets of gold? <laughs> Because your brain there thinks exactly like it thinks here. And I'm going, where's the streets of gold, right? And so I heard water and I sensed, well, I knew I heard water and I couldn't find it. So I'm walking and I'm walking and I felt like total, and I'll kind of break it down a little bit. I felt like I was in heaven for about eight months because there's no time. Oh, the height of heaven is about a third of our height. So on a really clear day and you look up and it looks way up there, it was about a third of the height. And it was perfect blue. And so I'm, and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking more and I'm going, okay. And I didn't see anybody, nobody else. And I'm walking and I hear my foot crunch something on the ground. And I looked down and I stepped on a flower and I crunched a flower. And that's the first time I realized I had no body. I have a body. I could feel my body, but I, you can't, I couldn't see anything. And so, and you're naked. <laughs> and so I was sharing this with the first ministry team. We started teaching. I was sharing this story 
And they go, you need to write a book called Streaking in Heaven. And I go, I might attract the wrong audience. And so um, in any event, it's your personality. <laughs> in any event, here comes Jesus. Jesus walks up to me and he goes, hi, Scott. He goes, we're going to talk about everything in your life you are proud of. And I said, I said it wrong. I go, I screwed it up. <laughs> I go, I'm so glad you said proud. He didn't. And the memories start kicking in. I have a picture. Sometimes I share when I'm speaking publicly, but there's a, my grandpa, I don't know if you guys know what the Gideon, Gideon Bibles are. My grandpa was a Gideon. And he was a farmer in Eastern Washington in a place called Outlook. And I'm four years old and I'm holding a blue bucket with my left hand and I'm holding his hand with my right hand and we're irrigating a cornfield. And that's, and it's, so when he, when it's proud, everything you do that you're proud of in the moment, and it's, it's not for, it's not for self. When you be, when you serve and you do things, all of that is highly important, highly important. And so this felt like it lasted four months and it just like download kind of like the movies, but way different. <laughs> it's just download and download. And it's like, it was awesome. As soon as it was done, he goes, he goes, that's all for now. I'll be back. And he leaves. And I'm walking around and I'm walking around. And I felt like I was walking for another couple months. And here comes Jesus. He comes back and he says, hi, Scott, have you left anything undone? And I said three things instantly. It's like, I've been waiting my whole life. i have waiting my whole life to uh, share this. And I go, yes. I said, next month, my wife and I are 25 year anniversary. I want to have a 50. Our son's 11 years old and I want to see him grow up. I'm just reaching some goals and I want to see him do fruition. I knew we were going to be able to retire by 50 and go full-time ministry. I thought we were going to be um, youth pastors. <laughs> you know, we just love teaching and training kiddos. And so that's what I thought our call was. And so he goes, is that all? And I said, yes, that's all. He goes, okay, I'll be back. And he leaves. Right when he leaves, I hear my son say, dad, I need you. And I don't know how to explain it any better than this, except for I'm in two places at once, completely cognizant of both and aware of both. I'm walking in the field of flowers, still looking for the water because I wanted to see it. And I'm at his bedside. I'm standing at his bedside. He's laying on his bed. He's facing the wall, heads up here, feet are here. And I said, hey, buddy, what do you need? And he goes, dad, I need you to rub my stomach. It hurts so bad from coughing. So I get up on his bed and I'm rubbing his stomach. And I, I can't see my hand physically, but I can see my hand impression on his stomach. And I didn't know. I heard Dolson call him. And I thought, well, he knows that he's in the hospital. He's on medicine. He must be dreaming. <laughs> but, just, you know, I go to the his doorway and I look in. And I said, hey, buddy, I heard you call. Do you need something? And he said, no, that's okay. Daddy got it. Daddy helped me. I said, okay. 
So she thought she thought he lost it from the the medicine. And so it was only I was only rubbing his stomach for maybe a minute, minute and a half. And he said, "Okay, dad, you can go. And I can tell you this. I had no free will. I didn't think about I didn't even think about looking for Tanya, which is so abnormal because I wanted to I would have went, you know, scared her or something, you know, (laughs) (laughs) give her a squeeze. (laughs) And so but as soon as he said you he, as soon as Dolson said you can go I'm instantly released is the best thing I could say because that one it's like that's done and I'm still walking in heaven only it's like that one closed does that make sense and so Jesus walks back up to me and he says Scott your time is not now and that was it and instantly I'm back in my body I'm freezing I'm in massive pain and I know I'm covered. I know there's something on me. And so I couldn't move. I tried moving and I couldn't move. Like, it was like, like you're almost like in tar. I couldn't move because I bled to death. I ended up with a 13 inch blood clot, four to six inches thick in my abdominal cavity. And I got down, most men have 12 to 14 pints of blood. I got down to three. And so I had no blood. And I, it, it took everything I could get, muster up, to reach up. And I'm, I'm feeling this. And I'm going, this is thick. <laughs> and so I start pulling. And it took both my hands. I start pulling. And I get this thing pulled down to my one eye. And I was tired. I often think, why didn't I just have enough more energy to pull it down past both eyes? But I got it to right here. And I could see And I'm looking around. I got my one eye out. (laughs) Must have been a beautiful sight. And I'm looking around and I see on the wall, it says morgue. Then at a distance, I see this lady about maybe 35 feet away. And there's a corner. There's a wall. And I see her back. She's facing away from the stage. I was in the staging area at the morgue is where I was. And she's facing away. And I tried to get her attention. I tried saying something and nothing would come out. And finally, I make the world's <laughs> sickest Chewbacca noise. And I go, <laughs> and this lady, I see her face. Her. This lady turns around. She screams. She freaks out. She freaks out. And so she picks up the phone and I'm watching her. She drops it. <laughs> she picks it up. She drops it. She picks it up again. She says something over the intercoms. I couldn't understand what she said. But I heard people running. I heard people running my direction. And so people get around me and they start pushing me down a hall. And I'm like, (laughs) and they go, we're going to take good care of you. And I'm just looking at them. And they they didn't uncover me. They pushed me down a hall and they parked me. And they said, we got to prepare a room for you. And so they parked me. And there's nobody else around. They just parked me. There's nobody else walking around. And I hear footsteps coming from behind me, like above my head, not upstairs, but behind, like coming down the hall towards me. And I hear footsteps walking towards me. And I got my one eye out and I look up because this person stopped right next to me. And it's my best friend, Gene. Yep. And so he was lost. The Lord had him turned around. Mm -hmm. And so he looks down at me, he goes, Scott, what are you doing here in the hall? And I just looked out at him. I go, dude, just hold my hand. <laughs> That's what I said. 
could have been, I could have come up with something more intelligent, but that's what I said. And he did. And he started yelling. He worked at Providence Hospital at the time. And his background was military. And he starts barking orders. And he's intense about it. And I'm going, that's my advocate. <laughs> and so he's yelling. Tanya was at home. I felt so helpless through the whole thing. You know, with, I had to be home with Dolson while he was going through all of this stuff. Because she was on quarantine. away from me. She was, was on quarantine. Awful. And so... I, I see this, this IV thing go by and it's not like a normal IV tower. It's like this big halo IV tower and this big halo. I, I see this being pushed by and I see four people walking behind each carrying a bag of blood in each hand. So eight bags of blood. And so they, they, they come out right after they go in and they go, okay, your room is prepared. We'll get you in here. So they get me in the room and they start, giving me blood and so the head doctor comes back and he walks around the corner i'm looking at they've now uncovered my face and he goes welcome back scott i've never seen that before and the next the next hour hour and a half um i ended up with getting eight blood transfusions and i ended up getting uh grilled by i i said grilled by the the psychologist right? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's the president? What year is it? Who's your, you know, every question you could imagine. And they found out I lost part of my brain. <laughs> I lost a one year of almost, almost an entire year of memory. So people I had met through business or in ministry or in our business, um, it, anybody I'd met in a, so four years prior. So it's been, you know, eight and a half years ago, before we before we relocated, people would walk in Fred Meyer or whatever, and they'd hey Scott, and they start talking to me, and I have no clue who they are at all. And so a lot of people were even hugging on you, and you didn't even know. And, and finally, I, I go, um, obviously we know each other. Could you tell me how we know each other? They think I'm kidding. And I go, no, I had a I had a, had a challenge, a medical issue, and I I lost a, about a year of memory, which would have been about four years ago. I go, I don't know when we met, but if it was in that window, they always go, yep. And so no memory at all, even if, even when it's rekindled, none. And so, so I, you know, there, Gene was awesome. Gene called Tanya, said something. I don't even know exactly what he said. Like there was an issue or. Yeah, there because he didn't even know exactly what happened. There was something was going on with Scott but he's okay the doctors are taking care of him now and everything's fine and you know I'm like oh okay I, that was yeah he didn't tell me anything that was serious he didn't know anything yet so that was it so they wouldn't they wouldn't let me sleep so they kept giving me medicine so I could stay awake and so um about five o'clock in the morning because I wanted to call Tanya really bad and Jean was there. Um, one of my sisters were there. I think mom, I think my mom came down at that point. And so finally, I, I, at five o'clock, I'm going, I'm waking her up. <laughs> and so I called her, I called her on the phone and, and she goes, hello. I go, hey, she goes, what time is it? I go, it's five. She goes, why are you calling me? <laughs> so, early. <laughs> so early. I go, oh, there's something I got to tell you. She goes, wait. I got to tell you something first. I said, okay, you go first. She goes, 
the weirdest thing happened last night. Dolson had an issue where he was calling you. Oh yeah, Dolson called you last night, and he said that he was. He said that you were help, you helped him last night because his tummy hurt. I said, man, that must be some really good medicine he's on. <laughs> and I and I said, well, that happened. I was on his bed and I was rubbing his stomach, and she goes, "What?" I go, "I died last night," and she's going. She freaked out. She cried, and so. So that was that was that they, they did dialysis. Um, they, oh, they did dialysis pretty much every day. I was in the hospital for another month. Here's something that's pretty cool. I, I think it's cool. Something that's pretty cool is that about a week later, um, a week later, this uh, phlebotomist comes back into my room. But let me set the stage. I'm bored as a gourd. A good a good friend of ours, a guy that's part of our company. He uh, he calls me. On what are you doing? I go, man, I am so bored. He goes, he goes, do you want company? I said, yes. <laughs> so I'm laying in the hospital bed watching golf. I mean, so obviously that's pretty boring. And so he comes in, he's sitting next to me and we're watching golf. And I, I hear the door open. You know how the hospitals always have a curtain. I hear the door open and I see this lady backing in. I could tell she's a phlebotomist. She's got her phlebotomist cart and she turns around and she locks eyes on me and she's staring at me and I see Larry over here. He's looking at me. He's looking at her. This is going on for a minute, over a minute. He's looking at me, looking at her, looking at me, looking at her. And finally, Larry goes, ma'am, is there something I can help you with? And she points at me. She goes, I watched you die. She was the one at the end of my bed sobbing. And so she goes, I watched you die. She goes, I can't do this. And she left. I never saw her again. And so Larry looks at me. He goes, you didn't tell me you died. At that time, I was processing and only sharing with, with family. And so that was that. <laughs> and so I did dialysis almost for a year. And for the, about the first, for about the first, um, Three months, I went to a dialysis clinic, and the dialysis clinic was not my cup of tea. Everybody was boring, and they didn't have hope, and I'm, like, praying for people, and nobody wanted my prayers, and so <laughs> everybody was kind of miserable, and I said, you don't have to be miserable, and so um, that was that, and so I found out that I could do it myself through a thing called peritoneal dialysis through, through my stomach, and so I did that for a for about nine months where I would do it four times a day. I'd be driving down the road, doing dialysis. I'd be, I'd go golfing and I do, I do nine holes and I do dialysis and do nine hole, go to my car, do it. And I, I would do it in my office and it was, it wasn't that big of a deal. And so even traveled and, you know, you could call and have the dialysis liquid shipped somewhere else. So it's like, Oh, can you ship it to this hotel? I'm going to be there for the weekend. And I, Oh my. Tandy goes, are you sure you're going to go to San, San Diego? And I go, yep. <laughs> and so, and so that was, it was awesome. And so uh, they, uh, I had 156 people sign up to donate a kidney and um, they tested six people. Four came back a no-go because they had high blood pressure in their medical records. Two came back perfect. Gene my best friend came back perfect. And my niece, Chanel, 
she came back perfect. And so I understand they thumb wrestled and uh, Gene won. And so Gene, I have Gene's oh, kidney. Gene, Gene. <laughs> Gene the whole time, ever since um, the first diagnosis of his issue, Gene was like, dude, don't worry about it. I got your back. I got your kidney. And he was so confident the whole time. Dude, don't worry about it. I got it. It was, it's amazing. He's not even related. And after eight um, blood transfusions, all the doctors had told us, oh, don't get your hopes up because since you had eight blood transfusions, you know, chances are so slim you'll find a, you know, a donor. So, oh my gosh, that was hard. And the, the reason, the reason for that. So if, 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 uh, if, if MJ and Mike, Mike and I had the same proteins, we had everything the same, same blood type, even if it's perfect, there's still a 15% chance it wouldn't work. So if there's eight different bloods in mixed in with mine, eight times 15 is over a hundred. And so even when I, even when I was registered for a kidney to get a kidney transplant, the head doctor called me, and goes, Scott, this isn't going to work. We, we are not, it's not going to work. It's, you're not going to be able to get a kidney. And I said, you don't know Jesus. And so he saw me in the hospital. So I was on dialysis for less than a year. And I got, I, on August, August 1st of 2018, I got my kidney and Gene made me a bet. Oh, oh, I forgot one of the cool things, but Gene made me a bet. And he goes, um, first one out of bed gets a steak dinner. Oh, is the next person is the, the, yeah, the other person has to buy a steak dinner. So, so the nurse comes in and she goes, Hey, just so you know, he's trying to get out of bed. And I go, are you being serious? And this is like the next morning after the transplant. And she goes, I said, I'm going to get up. She goes, you can't get up. I go, I'm getting up. <laughs> and I got up and I walked into his room and he goes, did they tell you? <laughs> I said, of course. And so so on, remember the Monday I told you when UW called and asked if they could do the biopsy on the kidney? That day, um, Larry, Larry calls me up and he goes, what are you doing? Gene called me. Gene goes, what are you doing? I go, man, it's like six o'clock. And I said, I'm so bored. That's kind of my answer. And he goes, want to play poker? He goes, I'm going to go get a, I'm gonna get a bunch of coins and we'll play, we'll play poker. We'll play, hold them in your room. So Larry stops by too. So there's three of us playing poker. And so the nurses come into our room and they go, what are you guys doing? And I go, we're playing poker. They go, nobody's ever done this here before. Um, what can we do to help? And I said, ice cream. And they said, awesome. You guys can have unlimited of ice cream, but you can't have any. So they had unlimited ice cream. I got none. I got an apple. <laughs> and so this was awesome. Remember the guy that prayed for me that first Saturday? His name's Chris Keegans. We, we've seen each other or talked to each other every week since we've met. He's a pastor now up in, up in Alaska. And so it was about, a, it was about a, so I, on, in January of 2019, he calls me on the phone. I'm driving down the road. I'm on an 8,000 calorie diet a day. That's a lot. I'm eating mod pizza. I'm eating Mexican food. I was too skinny. My BMI was too low. And they wanted me to gain weight so they could get fat around the kidney because I put it in your belly. It's really interesting. And so we can go into details on that down the road if you ever want to. But, and so I'm driving down the road. He goes, Hey, Scott, 
he, I go, yeah. He goes, have you heard of Pastor Tom Loud? And I said, nope. He goes, oh, I spent some time with him last week. He prays for people and Jesus heals people in a minute. And I've always been under the impression that you can pray for people, but I didn't know that he'd given all of us authority to heal the sick. He tells us to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, freely you've been given, freely freely received, freely give. And so I didn't know that. I was raised Lutheran and I had no idea that that was even possible, right? And so I said, okay, and I totally blew it off, like completely. About, about um, two weeks later, I'm sitting eating street tacos. I like street tacos, by the way. I'm eating street tacos and it's just me in this place because I already had my mod pizza at 11 and now it's two hours later. I need me my street tacos, getting my 8,000 calories in and I was doing a good job at it. Every night I'd have Reese's peanut butter cups because they told me to eat four Reese's peanut butter cups every night before bed. They wanted to pump me up. <laughs> they did a good job. And so um, long story short, I'm eating my tacos and I hear Scott, look up Tom Loud now. And I'm looking around. There's nobody there. It was an audible. And I take another bite and I look around. He says, Scott, look up Tom Loud now. So I grab my phone and I look up Tom Loud. And um, there's, a, there's a book he just wrote called Unlocking Kingdom Power. And he actually highlighted to the best of his ability for not really knowing. He didn't remember much, but he, uh, he ended up uh, praying for us. So I said, I said, so I watched the videos. He's praying. He's praying for people. I watched 10 videos. One of the videos was the last one. And this lady had um, breast cancer and Tom prayed for her. And she came back to give a testimony on video for him. And so fast forward, I go home and I'm, I said, hey, Tanya, there's a guy named Tom Loud. He prays for people. Let's watch some videos. She goes, OK. And so we're watching videos and she, you know, we're both going, yeah, that's pretty interesting, you know, that's wild, <laughs> pretty interesting. <laughs> and we're both going, I mean, I was raised Lutheran, Tanya's raised Baptist. You know, it wasn't part of our, our growing up and part of our doctrine, so to speak. And so fast forward, March 1st, 2019, Tanya's diagnosed with her third round of breast cancer. Mastectomy and hope is what the prognosis was. They said they couldn't do anything else. And so I call Chris. Chris, remember Tom, Pastor Tom, you told me about? He goes, yeah. I go, would you call Pastor Tom and see if he'll pray for Tanya? And here was Chris's response. God, I only met him once. I go, would you please try for me? Okay. Five minutes later, he calls back. And he goes, Scott, Tom will pray for Tanya Sunday. This Sunday, between services, you need to be at the 11 o'clock service. He goes, if, you go, if you're going, can I go with you? And I said, Absolutely. So we take Tanya's mom, Dolson, Dolson, our son, uh, Chris, and we're up, we go up to a place called Shoreline Full Gospel Church. And I have never been to a full gospel Pentecostal church. And it was like, whoa, was they, awesome. they got power. <laughs> it was awesome, Angie. It was awesome. And so it was awesome, Angie. And so um, the reality is this, we're in there and we're going, wow. I've never heard anybody preach like this. Normally there's a message and this guy's like equipping and he's teaching and, and there's no relationship. He comes up to us between, between the services and he goes, I've got seven minutes for you guys. Let's go back here. I'm talking 
zero relationship. It's not, hey, my, I mean, it was nice. He wasn't mean. Tanya always has to say, oh, he's nice. And so he's nice. And so we go into this room and it's maybe a 20, 20 by 30 room. And it's, a, and he, he says, Tanya sits on the couch and he goes, he goes, what can I pray for? And Tanya talks, explains the diagnosis of breast cancer. I never say anybody has anything. I'm such a critical person when it comes to work. You don't say he has cancer. She has cancer. He has this, he has, she has this. I know you'll never hear that come out of my mouth. And I think that that's, that's, that's a curse. And I don't think people understand that, but long story short, um, Tom looks at Tanya and says, do you want Jesus to heal you? And Tanya goes, yeah, Jesus always asked, what do you want? And I think people start praying and people haven't fully bought in. They have no, they have no skin in the game. They're just expecting, you know, something magical to happen. Well, it's by your faith you have been healed multiple times throughout the Bible. So Tanya goes, um, she goes, yeah. And so Tom goes, there's four things I want you to do before I pray for you. If you feel like you owe somebody an apology, you feel like somebody owes you an apology, you feel like you're holding a resentment towards anybody or you're holding a grudge towards anybody. He goes, I want you to pray with, pray right now to Jesus. I want you to get rid of all of that. I don't want the enemy holding on to anything. And I'm just standing back watching this going, never seen this before <laughs> and so and so Kenya she's so great it would have taken me a month to get ready for this and so she goes I'm ready and I'm looking at her going wow <laughs> and so he goes he goes it's not faith that's going to that, you, that you're gonna that Jesus is gonna heal you it's my faith in Jesus and he's gonna heal you right now he goes I don't close my eyes when I pray he goes it's not taught in the bible to close your eyes he goes I am, I keep my eyes open when I pray. I'm going to have you put your hand where the cancer's at and I'm going to touch your knuckle. And I'm standing next to Tanya just like this. She's to my left and, and she does this thing and she, he puts his finger on her knuckle and here's exactly what he said. And he's staring over her, her um, left shoulder. And he just goes, Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tanya. I know you love her. In the name of Jesus Christ right now, I curse all cancer in your body. I command all cancer to go back to the pit of hell where it came from go now. He stares over her shoulder for 30 seconds and he takes his finger off her knuckle and he goes, Jesus just healed your cancer. Go get a pathology port. You're going to find out it's gone. And I'm standing next to Tanya going, is this for real? And so he looks at his watch and he goes, I have five and a half more minutes left. What else can I pray for? And Tanya's going, uh. I was like kind of in shock. <laughs> um, I'm good now. Scott goes, what about your back? Like, oh, I've only had chronic back pain for like 35, 40 years. I forgot about it. I'm like, oh, that would be great if that was gone. So, and so she fell off a horse when she was roughly nine, ended up hurting her back, massive scoliosis. They fused her spine from her neck to her booty, Harrington rods, up to 15 Viking in a day for 32 years. And so, always in pain, level seven, eight, nine, 10 pain every day. And so, self-talk I go this would be this will prove it <laughs> it's so terrible to say that and so Tom walks around he's standing next to me Chris is over here sobbing the entire time and so Tanya's or Tanya's here and I'm watching Tom and I turn around I'm just watching them and he puts his hand on her back he goes do you want Jesus to heal your back yes Lord Jesus I thank you for Tanya I know you love her in the name of Jesus Christ I speak to her back muscles tendons ligaments vertebrae but loose now 
go back into perfect alignment now. I speak to the pain. I command all pain to go back to the pit of hell where it came from. Go now. Tanya, let me know if it gets too warm. Oh, it's getting warm. Well, let me know if it gets too hot. Okay. Okay, Jesus has healed your back. Look for the pain. And I'm, I'm standing next to Tanya. My wife starts bending. She starts bending and she goes, I mean, back pain is one of those things that's kind of funky. And she goes, and I'm watching her bend and I'm going. And she goes, I don't think it hurts. I think it's gone. And he just looks at me and he goes, if the pain ever comes back, pray for her and it'll go. And I raise my hand like a good boy. I raise my hand and he looks at me and he goes, yes. <laughs> and he goes, I go, what are you thinking when you're staring into the ozone? And he, he goes, I know you're a seer. Have you seen my training system? Self-talk on the inside only. I didn't say it. I said, self-talk. He's going to try to sell me something. And so long story short, um, um, he said, I'm going to send you some videos, watch them, and you're going to get it. If anybody ever wants them, I'll give them to anybody who asks. And so he looks at me and he goes, what can I pray for you for? And I'm a good Christian boy. And I said, oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for offering. Yeah. Hallelujah. And so I said, I had a kidney transplant six months ago because he's still looking at me. Mm -hmm. And I said, I had a kidney transplant six months ago and I'm doing great. And then he starts staring at my body. And I kind of felt like a woman being violated because I'm going, my eyes are up here. I didn't say that, but he's staring at my abdomen and I'm going <laughs> weird. And so he goes, they didn't take out your kidneys. And I said, no, I said, they only take the kidneys out if they're cancerous. And he goes, do you want three working kidneys? I said, yes, I do. He comes behind me, prays for me, didn't feel anything. And he, right when he was done, he goes, okay, I've got three more minutes. What else can I pray for? I said, I always have lower back pain. It's always right here. And he goes, do you want Jesus to heal that? You probably have one leg longer than the other. I said, I don't think so. And so he takes me to this wooden chair and he says, take your shoes off. And he says, Tanya, come here, look at this. And so Chris is making sure my hips are square because I'm going, this is a, this this is weird, but I just watched Tanya's back get healed. That was a visual, right? I couldn't, I couldn't know the breast cancer was gone, which it came back perfectly clear. No sign. All my kidneys are perfectly functioning now. If you look my name up, Scott Hoyt, three kidney miracle. Your lab numbers. My lab numbers perfect. came back perfect. And so everything is perfect. And so, and I'm going, this is a trip, right? And so he goes, Tanya, what's going on with his legs? Chris, is, is he square? Yeah. He, she goes, well, his right leg's about an inch and a quarter, inch and a half shorter than his left. And he goes, Tanya, put your finger on his big toe. She goes, I don't know how to do this. He goes, I'm going to show you. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Scott. I know you love Scott in the name of Jesus Christ. Legs are out the full length now. And I'm feeling the hair in my, on my leg go through my jeans. Chris is sobbing and Tanya's going. <laughs> and and I, I'm watching, I'm watching this and I'm going. <laughs> and it worked. I fell down three times in the next five minutes because it changes your gait. You want to think an inch and a half makes a big difference? <laughs> I fell down. I fell down going downstairs. That's not good. And so um, <laughs> then he goes, I got another minute left. What else can I pray for? I said, when they put the kidney in my belly, they cut a nerve. And now I got a weird pain from my hip to my knee. It's a burning deep pain, but it's kind of numb. He goes, Tanya, put your hand on his leg. Repeat after me. 
And so we saw five miracles in seven minutes. I went home, we watched the videos and Tom had to go. It was like, he goes, I got to go. Thank you. Thank you very much. The service was awesome. And so we go back home. I look at my email. I already have the videos from Tom. We watched the videos. The next morning, Tanya wakes up with a migraine. And I looked at her. I go, can I pray for you? And I, I put my hand on her shoulder and pray for her. Migraine gone. Next day. Do you want Jesus to heal you? I said, yep. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next day, I'm at a library. And my niece is there. And she's squinting really hard. Jesus started me off slow in this. And so I said, what's going on? She goes, oh, I have a massive migraine. I said, can I pray for her? She goes, sure. I prayed for her. Jesus healed her. A lady walks around the corner. She goes, what are you guys doing? My niece goes, oh, my uncle's praying for me. I had a migraine. And she goes, well, how's the, how's the migraine? And Chanel goes, it's gone. And this lady goes, will you pray for me? I said, what's wrong with you? She goes, I, I hurt my neck 23 years ago in a car accident. I said, and I already watched Tom's video. So I said, I said, okay, do you want Jesus to heal you? She goes, yeah. I go on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? She goes, I'm a three to five every day, all day long. And I said, okay, prayed for her. Jesus healed her on a sidewalk. Then I prayed for, then I prayed in that first week, I prayed for 30 people. Everybody was healed. I called Tom back that following Friday. And I said, Tom, I just want to let you know, I got my labs back. Everything is going good. The doctors say all my kidney functions are restored. He goes, he couldn't figure it out. And I said, prayer, he goes, oh, pray very good. And so long story short, um, my kidneys, all three work. And then he goes, he goes, have you watched my videos? And I said, yes. He goes, have you started praying for people? And I said, yes. He goes, give me an example. So I gave him some examples. And he goes, one of the guys was a 70-year-old man. You might know a guy named Ruben, Ruben uh, Morales, Ruben Awaka. So Ruben's dad tore his Achilles tendon, prayed for him, healed him, prayed for his son, broken arm. Jesus healed his, his arm twice as big. Left, his left arm was broken twice as big in front of eight of us. Prayed twice. Jesus healed it in a parking lot. Um, prayed for 30 people. So I'm explaining this to Tom. And Tom goes, we need to have lunch. I'd like you to pray for me. So I, I thought he was kidding, but we go up. I'd gladly take him to lunch. I just wanted to thank him for what he did for Tanya and I. And so we go up, prayed for him. And that was awesome. Then he goes, will you join my ministry team? I said, what does that mean? He goes, once a month, I'd like you to come up and pray for people in the evening on a Sunday. I said, okay. And so we started our first ministry called Divine Appointment Ministries that month. And I took everything that Tom taught me and I love, I'm a, I love teaching. So I start pulling together people, right? And I start teaching. We're going to Black Bear Diner and we're, I'm just teaching people. And the church we were going to, I start praying for people that were having issues for a number of years and people were getting healed. And, and uh, I had a conversation with the pastor one day, he comes up to me, he goes, he goes, we need to have breakfast. And so we ended up connecting and I walk into this, this restaurant and there's a hostess and the hostess goes, are you here by yourself? I said, no, I'm meeting my pastor for breakfast. And she points at this guy and she goes, is that him? And I see my pastor, like I see him. And I walk up and I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, hey, Pastor Jay. And he's a Caucasian white guy like me, Caucasian bald guy. And this guy's, this guy's not, this guy's a, a dark, dark, dark skin pigment guy. And he turns around and he goes, I'm not Pastor Jay, I'm James. <laughs> and I said, I go, he goes, I'm Pastor James. I go, okay. I mean, crazy. And so he goes, you're meeting your pastor. And he goes, why? And I told him, he goes, oh. And I told him, I'm praying for people. People are getting healed and our church doesn't believe in that. He goes, 
I've been an evangelist and been praying around the world for the last 23 years. I retired. I've been full-time ministry since I was 20. I'm 43. He goes, he goes, what are you doing? I told him exactly what I'm doing. He goes, you're doing what's right. He goes, I said, now I'm just equipping anybody who wants to learn. He goes, what does that mean? I said, like, like I'm training people. I'm pulling 20, 30 people together. I'm just training them so I can equip them. Right. My entire vision is I want to equip. And so he goes, when's your next training? I said, tonight. He goes, can I go? And I said, sure. And my, the pastor walks in and first question he asked me he goes, what do you tell people when they don't get healed? And I said, all things work together for good. The lepers weren't healed on the spot in their mind. One came back to thank Jesus. The others walked. They weren't healed until they walked in faith. He goes, it's a good answer. And so um, I prayed for our ministry team, myself included. We prayed for over 6,000 people in the last three years. I've seen over 5,800 miracles around the world. We could pray over a picture. I've seen people that are in comas and they're getting ready to people in people that are in comas and they're getting ready to pull the plug. And I get a phone call. We go pray for them. And Jesus takes them out of a coma and they wake up. Um, it doesn't matter. Broken backs. Broken backs. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the master physician. And so we started that ministry. We still have that ministry going today. Um, then about uh, July of last year, 2021, I had a vision. I was told to start a ministry called evangelistic equipping. I was told I'm going to be going into churches and equipping the church. He said, my church is broken. Revival is here and my church is broken. Nobody's doing my work that I have called them to do. He goes, we are all called to the great commission. Most people are walking in a relationship. They're not activated in a relationship. And so the next day, after I get this vision, somehow, some way, I get a phone call from a pastor in Medford, Oregon. He says, I understand you come into churches and you equip them. I do. He goes, would you come down? I said, yes. I found out that was an eight-hour drive. And so I go down and I, he goes, what do you like? I said, I, I said, I loved, I love Jesus, guns, and tacos. <laughs> go down to that big taco feed. And one day we go out, everybody brings guns and it's down in Oregon. And it's like, it's, everybody has guns. And so we're out there and I'm learning how to shoot different kinds of guns. <laughs> right. And, and so, eat tacos. and eating tacos. And so <laughs> we started the ministry um, to really go out and equip. And so that's what we've been doing uh, for the last We've been doing that since almost a year. And so we just got a website up and running and it's, it's blowing our mind how it's working because my entire vision is I want to win the heart. You know, you, we're all called to disciple. We're all called, right? I want to win the heart. I want to disciple the believers. And then I want to send them out because there are so many people that have a great faith walk, but they don't have a great activated faith walk. They have a faith. They'll go to church and they'll put in, They'll put in a Wednesday night. They'll put in study time. They'll go to church, but they're not walking because if you're not giving it away, <laughs> we're not doing the work, right? And so that's that's where we're at now. Um, the ministry has been phenomenal. And so all of this has taken place in the last four and a half years in our lives. And we are excited about the, we're excited about the rest. And so that is our journey of our life so far. And it's been 30 years of, of marriage this September. And uh, that's who we are. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, that was awesome, Scott. It really moved me. So if something's being said during this podcast, it's really pulling at your heart right now. 
and tugging at you right now, just say this little prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. You died for me. And thank you for coming into my life. You are my Lord and Savior. And by saying that prayer, you're bringing him that much closer to you and just saying thank you for being there always with me, Lord. So I hope we've helped in some way. Jesus is always there for you. Just use that power. Thank you for listening to the God Focus Podcast. And if we've said something today that's helped, we do have two action steps you can do with our program. Number one is we have a prayer team. If you'd like us to pray for you, just email us at godfocusedpodcast at gmail.com and we could put the prayer team on your situation. Secondly, if you have the financial means to help us, we are right now trying to improve the quality of the podcast with technology and editing. If there's any situations you can help with us, we have a custom program right now we're building for a custom membership and then we'll have membership packages down the road. Please email us at godfocusedpodcast at gmail.com and we can send you that information. Thank you for all your help and love through Jesus Christ and God bless you. Have a great week.